Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. Asian Americans across the nation, including here in California, have been on high alert since this week's shootings in Atlanta that left eight people dead, six of whom were Asian women. Sarah Mises Tan of Cap Radio reports. In Sacramento, news of the Atlanta shooting hit close to home for its Little Saigon neighborhood, an area with many Asian-run businesses not unlike the businesses targeted in the Georgia shooting. Frank Louie with the Stockton Boulevard Business Partnership says he's working with Sacramento police to increase security along the corridor. About 15% of businesses in Little Saigon are personal care salons. When this incident happened, I think it's it's uh, important for us to be more proactive versus reactive. So that's why I, 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 I wanted to uh, set the wheels in motion. Law enforcement in Atlanta have said they can't yet say if the shootings were a racially motivated crime. And Yoon Wen with the California Healthy Nail Salon Collaborative says linking the shootings of Asian women to them being sexually tempting is perpetuating a racist anti-Asian stereotype. There's that stereotype of like, Asian women being submissive, they'll do whatever you want them to do, and they won't tell. Wen says that even though her organization mostly represents nail salon workers, she's heard many reports of technicians being solicited for sex, even though that isn't their job. There's that joke where like, oh, did you go get a massage? Oh, did you get a happy ending? You know, like, how did that become a joke? She adds that being stereotyped as sex workers is something white massage therapists don't often deal with. If you go to like, like a fancy, you know, upscale spa where most of the employees there are white. You don't really have, there there really isn't that stereotype there. Um, But if you go to, like, if you're in Chinatown where it's like a foot massage or whatever, people will have a connotation that an Asian spa, for whatever reason, has that stereotype attached to it. Many Asian salon workers and owners across California chose not to go to work this week out of fear for their safety. Others brought husbands or sons with them as protection. For the California Report, I'm Sarah Mises-Tan in Sacramento. House legislators passed two immigration bills yesterday that would provide a pathway to citizenship for so-called dreamers and farm workers. The California Report Central Valley reporter Alex Hall has more. The Farm Workforce Modernization Act would allow those who have worked in agriculture at least six months over the past two years to apply for a work permit. After another four years in agriculture, many would be eligible for a green card. The bill also seeks to improve the H-2A visa program for agricultural guest workers. After the vote yesterday, Democratic Representative Zoe Lofgren pointed out that while it's been a hard year, farm workers ensured the food supply was reliable. 
even in the worst part of the pandemic, you could go into the grocery store and food was there. And we owe our farmers and our farm workers of America for, for that. We owe them our thanks and we owe them this bill. The House also passed the American Dream and Promise Act Thursday. That legislation would grant not just dreamers, but also immigrants with temporary protected status, a path to citizenship. Both bills will now go on to the Senate, where each will need Republican support to become law. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. We'd like to take a few minutes now to tell you about a beloved member of our KQED family. Penny Nelson died yesterday. And my colleague Rachel Myro has this tribute. Penny Nelson managed to live many lives despite passing this week at 57 from brain cancer. But I'm going to start with her life at KQED, where we knew her as a frequent fill-in host for Forum. From KQED Public Radio, this is Forum. I'm Penny Nelson. And the California Report. Yeah, good morning. Um, So, good morning. This is the California Report. Oh, I'm Penny Nelson. That's right. AM engineer Danny Bringer spent the most time with her, and as every on-air personality knows the engineer records everything, especially the funny bits. Penny never disappointed, singing, laughing. She was mischievous and loved to get producers to join in, like Guy Marzarati. I love you, darling, and if it's quite all right, I need you, darling. Do you hear me? Can you hear me now? I do hear you, Penny. Oh, Guy! Even when her brain was taking a battering from radiation and chemotherapy, Penny was still able to strike up a warm, honest conversation with anybody she came in contact with. Baristas, babies, local Morning Edition host Brian Watt. Always a source of joy and charm and humor. No matter where you were, she met you there. Polly Stryker was her editor for a number of years. She had such empathy and grace, and she felt for everybody she spoke with. As a teenager, Penny wrote to Jane Goodall, the famous primatologist, asking how to follow in her footsteps. Goodall wrote back, encouraging Penny to work with chimps, which she did, at the Portland Zoo and in Uganda. Other animals, too, as she referenced in this Pledge Drive promo. I became addicted to public radio when my job had me out monitoring rodents in the Pennsylvania mountains. I was out in the early mornings in the freezing cold of winter. And you know who was there with me every single morning? This is Morning Edition. I'm Bob Edwards. They got me through. What is Kate- Back in 1995, Penny became fast friends with Holly Kernan, now KQED's chief content officer. Holly met Penny when she was pregnant with the first of her two sons. In an all-staff email this week, Holly recalled Penny was a, quote, terrible cook and a terrific gardener whose house was always a cluttered mess of books and music and half-full bottles of red wine and items from her travels all over the world. Now you just turned that frown upside down. Penny was so much more than a radio personality, though. She maintained a lifelong love of Africa, its people, as well as its wildlife. She was a book agent. She was a black belt in Aikido. Ruth Kadar trained with her. Life was never too big for Penny. She embraced all of it. And in some ways, it felt like she never wanted to miss on anything. 
Six and a half years ago, doctors told Penny she had somewhere between six months and five years left. She was determined to see her boys graduate from high school, and after they hit that milestone, she fought to see them graduate from college. Penny approached cancer the same way she approached life. Whether the weather be cold or whether the weather be hot, whether the weather be fair or whether the weather be not, oh, whether the weather, whatever the weather, whether we like it or not. Penny died in Portland, where she grew up, with her sons, James and Misha, by her side, along with her mom, Paula, her brother, Drew, her current Chihuahua, Flower, and Lucy, the Chihuahua who traveled over the Rainbow Bridge ahead of Penny, no doubt eagerly awaiting her arrival. <sighs> All right. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Well, this Saturday marks the start of the Persian New Year, Nowruz. KQED's Kiana Moradam put together a beautiful explainer of Nowruz. Here's Kiana. This week marked one year since the start of the pandemic and of shelter in place here in the Bay Area. For many of us, this time last year was scary, confusing, and pretty unreal. So much has happened since then, and so much has changed. I've found myself keeping track of time in entirely new ways, using holidays, weather patterns, even the phases of the moon. And like many people, I was thankful for the end of 2020. Being able to put that year behind us, even if it was just symbolic, it felt good. But as much as I was ready for 2021, it wasn't really the year I was waiting for. Nope, the one I really wanted was 1400. And now it's here. This Saturday, March 20th, is the start of the Persian New Year, Nowruz, or New Day. The holiday starts on the spring equinox and it's celebrated all over the world. It's rooted in Zoroastrian traditions and dates back some 3000 years ago. People clean their homes, buy new shoes, Set up a small table with seven items, all starting with the letter S. It's called a half scene. And eat giant meals full of fish, rice, and fresh herbs. It's a time for celebrating with family and friends, to be outside in nature, to welcome springtime and new life. In my keeping track of time, Nowruz was the ultimate marker. And I put a lot of pressure on it this year, because this time last year, right as everyone was getting ready for the New Year celebrations, we all went inside and stayed there. 
I remember thinking next year will be different. And it is in a way. The vaccines are rolling out. There's more sunlight each day. And although I'm definitely still living that indoor life, it feels like there's something new on its way. Something like a new day. So I wanted to hear from others celebrating the new year and to share a little bit about this special time and particularly what it looks like in the Bay Area. I turned first to the real experts. These are some of the kids at Golestan explaining what Nowruz is in a video they made. It's really a special time of year for us. I spoke with the executive director of Golestan, a school in El Cerrito. They run a preschool, elementary, and after-school program. And the preschool is a Persian language immersion program. Yalda Madaber, I live in Berkeley, California. The curriculum was designed to have a global view, so they learn about all the countries in the world, and so it wasn't like Iranian-centric at all, except for the month of March. March is when they learn about Iran. This is a very special, festive time of the year, and it's like spring and rebirth, and that's always been the, the unit that we've covered this time of year. Um, and they make their half scenes and they grow hyacinth. They have their hyacinth bulbs and they watch them grow and they make the sabze where they sprout lentils and wheats and they do kunetikuni, the cleaning, spring cleaning. Um, so there's a lot of, it's, it's really very sweet. and They're all very excited. And they jump over fires. Yep, a part of Nauru's festivities include jumping over a fire. It's called Jeharshambe Suri and it occurs on the last Tuesday before the New Year. And as they're jumping over, they say, cleansing, and you're cleansing yourself of any, technically of any sicknesses from the past years. It's giving the fire your sickness, your problems, and receiving health and warmth back from it. It's rooted in Zoroastrian traditions, and it's now a secular holiday, but it's rooted in Zoroastrian traditions. and. Um, and the element of fire is a, it's a big component of it, as, as is the spread that you put together for the for Nowruz, which is very similar to a lot of other rituals and traditions from that part of the world, like Passover has very similar traditions. And it's just super fun. And in Iran, they do like these huge bonfires. And here we did, I, I was adamant that we needed to use real wood, but I know some people use like dura logs and, and we need to just like jump over it. The hottest spot in town for a dura log Charshambisuri? Well, that's usually downtown Berkeley on Durant Street between Shattuck and Milvia. This is one of those events that when you're literally one year old, to 100-year-old, you're here. I know some people actually, when their kids are three or four months old, they bring them and they carry them and jump over the fire. My name is Shaheen Tabrizi. Shaheen was one of the co-founders of the Berkeley Persian Center some 30 years ago. He's now the president. In three words, we uh, engage, educate, and empower. Vahid Azin left Iran in 2011 and he connected with the Persian Center nearly four years ago. And since then, I'm just here trying to help them, but mostly they're helping me. <laughs> when you look back on the, you know, the years since then, since you've been a part of the center, what are some of the memories that stand out to you? 
Charshamba Suri was like <laughs> the biggest hit of all time. So as you probably know, we don't have an organized event even at Iran. We don't have that kind of event for Charshamba Suri. It's like a huge celebration. Everybody's out at Charshamba Suri in Iran, but there is no organization who just you see through an event like this and this big. I can't stress what a scene this is. Thousands of people dancing, waiting for food, observing the center's Nuru's decor and half-scene tables. It's a real party. And at the center of it, a row of fires. The most important thing is the, is the fire, which we have lines and people jump over the fire. I guess the second thing is food, of course. So we have some vendors uh, bringing food and uh, they, they sell their food. And of course, the third element is music. So we have a DJ coming in and uh, play the music. I was totally shocked. I could see all of my friends over here from Sacramento, UC Davis, San Jose, everywhere, Walnut Creek. They're all here, all here, all together. Yeah, that was like the best, the best thing ever could happen, happen to Iranians outside of the Iran. Almost like I would say probably 30-40% of the people are non-Persians and I would say the other 20% uh, are Persian ethnicity. It has become one of our signature events unintentionally but evolved to that. They started with an idea for Chaharsham Besuri in front of the center. We were about 400 people. And then it really took off. A street in Berkeley has become a street of fire as people gather to celebrate the Persian New Year. And all of a sudden, thousand people showed up. And then that thing grew. And then finally, we had to hire some event managers. They got permits from the city and expanded down the street and even into the neighborhood parking lot. It got to almost 5,000. We've kept a tradition. Last year would have been the 20th anniversary of Chashan Basuri. Last year, we watched the whole uh, situation uh, very closely. In Iran, things were getting a little bit worse than in the United States, so they were a little bit ahead of us. So we knew at least what was coming. We wanted to kind of cancel it like end of February, but we waited till to make sure that we get the blessing of the rest of the community members. And uh, I think on the day of the event, or maybe a day before March 17th or 16th, that was when California shut down the whole thing. Shaheen said it was really difficult, not just because they had 95% of the planning and the work done for the event, but because it's a really important moment for many people. Nauruz is a time to gather together and move into a new future. And Shaharsham Besuri is an important part of that. It's where you leave the past in the past, or in this case, in the flames. And uh, a lot of people are even superstitious that they think if they don't jump over the fire before Nauruz, they will not have a good year. Uh, so even last year that we canceled Chashan Basuri, I'm sure some people even put little small candles probably jump over them. So at least they say that they jumped over the fire. I was one of those people. I had scented candles in my apartment. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> The Persian Center had to cancel this year's event as well, in part due to the pandemic, but also because of complications in their layout. 
the parking lot across the street that they used to use is now a new building, and they've just become too big. We put about 1,500 people there uh, because we put the music there, and this year we don't have that option. I was sad to hear about the loss of this space, especially because it seemed like it might put an end to the centers to Harsham Besuri. But Shaheen, the rest of the center, and so many community members aren't giving up that easily. We have all the intentions to continue. We have a lot of people working on it. Our plan is to definitely, uh, if we want to have it, have it in front of our home. The fact that I'm talking to you and you're telling me you were coming and other people, I've had some law students at Cal that they said that they were coming when they were four or five years old. And that kind of touched my heart. And we say that if you guys like it so much and we have, that's a major, major community building. A lot of police officers, a lot of the city officials, they bring their kids and grandkids to that event. So this is not only us not having it, the community is right now hurting because of not having it. As we've been talking, it's been a hard year for many people. I, I'd love to know what you're thinking about as we, you know, are all celebrating Nowruz, like hopefully celebrating Charshan Besuri as much as we can at home on our own or in our in our pods. Um, what what are you thinking? Charshan Besuri this year is is very poignant because it is about disease and health and and rebirth and a new beginning. And so I think that's why it's it's really important to me to find a way to incorporate that so that everyone has access to it. As with anything in life, these terrible things that happen can turn out to be opportunities as well. If we, can, if we choose to find them and celebrate them, it can help us through the remaining months ahead um, as the days get longer and as we we have more hope for, um, hopefully if these variants knock on wood, if they behave, um, we have hope for going back to, to a life that, we, that we're more accustomed to. I mean, to be honest, I think I like to give uh, more hugs. <laughs> If I could, this morning I was watching on CNN, one of the grandmas, the doctor uh, prescribes is now, you can hug your um, granddaughter. And they're hugged for like 10, 15 minutes and they, they were crying. So I know I haven't hugged my mom uh, for, for the last year or so. And uh, uh, definitely not my siblings, although I've seen some of them. So I think that's definitely one of those things. Considering all the negatives about Corona, I think if I, I could mention one positive thing about Corona is that finally, this is something that we are all in this together, all the people, all the humans uh, all around the world. So I think this is the best time to understand that we need each other and we need to help each other a lot more. This is like a good example to unite us all together. happy new year
Nowruz is a big deal for us Persians living here in California, and it's a holiday we love to share with our American friends. But that's been hard during the pandemic. So Amir Razavi and Persis Karim teamed up to show anyone how to make the traditional Nowruz spread. Amir owns Berkeley's Middle East Market. Persis chairs San Francisco State Center for Iranian Diaspora Studies. And this year, they created a flyer with everything you need to know about Nowruz at Amir's shop. I think this is a great opportunity for us to connect as a community and celebrate the cycle of, you know, the spring passing and new beginnings in their lives. And for that, um, it's a big symbol just for the community and for people that are non-Persian. They still come in and they get that energy and they take it and they're so interested in all of the different things we do during the celebration, you know, the food, the different events we have, why we have them. Yeah, well, here's a funny story. My son, who's 18, works here. And since he started working here last fall, he's become very curious and interested in Iranian culture. And mind you, I'm half Iranian and he's a quarter Iranian. And um, some of the experiences of growing up inside the Iranian community were more remote for him than they even were for me. He took it on. He said, Mom, you write up the stuff. I'm going to do the layout of this. And I think what was so interesting was he was like, Mom, you got it wrong. You know, there's these seven things have to be on the table (laughs) because there is some variation. Yeah, he was adamant about it, right? I think for him, it's also like he's begun to embrace that idea that like, His heritage is important to him. And also, because he works here now, he's been exposed to a lot of things. And he's coming to it on his own terms, right? So rather than me forcing him to go to Farsi school or... um, Well, this is the thing. I mean, for me in high school in San Diego, we didn't embrace Persian culture. In fact, we... You were told not to, probably, yeah. We were distancing ourselves from it because it was not appreciated. You know, we didn't speak the language with, like, the other kid, you know, or two that were in my school. Or you didn't share it with them because they, depending on when you were growing up and where, they weren't always welcome to that. And and a lot of parents, not saying your parents, but a lot of parents from Iran um, who have immigrated here, they sometimes they tell them, hey, we want you to embrace the American culture and kind of keep them a little bit away on purpose from the Iranian culture because they know of the different tensions and histories, um of coming here, they want them to adapt to being in America, Exactly. I mean, assimilation is always the easiest route if you can do it, right? Exactly. It's the less painful route, but then you lose all this stuff. It's painful later. It's painful later. I know so many customers that come here who are fully Iranian. Both of their parents are Iranian. They don't speak Farsi, and they don't know some of these celebrations because their parents did it intentionally. And um, there's sadness to that, but there's also, it shows the history of why they've done that and I think for good intention but it is a prime example that that is a result of separation from your society from your culture and to bring it back to the card and while we're doing this it gives them the opportunity to come back to that even if they're a quarter Iranian if they're half Iranian if they're or married to an Iranian or married to an Iranian this is that window for them and I think that's what the importance of the card is and having the setup and for us to collaborate and to have her son work here and for us to be able to have this opportunity to do this together. My thanks to Amir and Persis. The Center for Iranian Diaspora Studies and the Diaspora Arts Connection are presenting a Noru Spring broadcast tonight at 6. Details are on my Twitter feed. I am at Lily Jamali. 
And that is our show for this Friday. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin, Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, and Jim Bennett, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. As we say goodbye to Penny, we know she's been a friendly and familiar voice to so many of you. So we're going to have her say goodbye one last time. And that, my friends, is the California Report, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Penny Nelson. Have a great weekend. Support for the California Report comes from California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care on the web at chcf.org voices. The James Irvine Foundation, accepting nominations now for the 2022 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvineawards.org, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.